We've been in a series called When We Pray. Everybody say, When We Pray. When we pray. And uh, we are so excited. Last week was just so good as I was just teaching you guys that prayer is nothing more than communicating with the Lord. Uh-huh. And uh, some of us grew up Catholic background. Some of us grew up, you know, outside of church. And, and the only time we prayed is when we were about to, you know, get smashed in a car accident. And, and uh, or we used, you know, uh, you know a, a certain way of praying that someone said this is the only way. And I was teaching you last week that, that prayer is, is about interacting with God the Father, just communicating. And, and this week, the title of the message today is When Fathers Pray and the Power Therein. Uh, one of the one of the faithful members of our church, one of the brothers, was in prayer the other day, and he was so grateful for the message last week. And he was in prayer, and he was so communicating to God the Father that all of a sudden, pow! God stood right in front of him, and he says, "I'm so proud of you, son, being a man of prayer and interacting with me. In fact, I'm so proud of you. You ask anything you want right now, and I'm going to do it for you right now. Any miracle you want, I'll do it." The man thought for a second. He's a faithful church on the hill member. And he thought, he said, you know, God, I'll tell you what I want. He said, I'd like to have the tallest skyscraper in the DFW area. I want you to build the tallest one right now is the Bank of America America downtown Dallas with 72 floors. I want you to do twice as that for me, Lord. I want it to have a, a swimming pool in my office. I want to have my name at the top of the building. I want them to be able to see it all the way from Oklahoma to the Gulf of Mexico. And Lord, when Jerry Jones flies in on his jet, I want him to almost hit it and be jealous of me. God looked at him and said, son, I'll tell you, that's an awful carnal request. He said, hmm. He said, you know, think about that for a second, son. Can you imagine how many permits I'm going to have to get to build a skyscraper? Can you imagine the airplanes are having to divert because you've got such a tall skyscraper down there? Do you know how much concrete and metal it's going to take to build something that tall? Can you imagine how the traffic is going to be locked down in, in the downtown area while I build this skyscraper? for Son, do you know how many men are going to lose their jobs in other parts of the world because we're bringing all the concrete here and they won't have any projects that they can work on? Son, I don't think that you ought to pray that. In fact, I want you to stop for a moment. And stop being so carnally minded. And why don't you rethink that and ask me for something that will be a little bit more spiritual and a little bit more right. And said, okay. He said, okay, Lord. Pastor Adam and then we're preaching on being good husbands and, 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 and strong families a few months ago. And the whole time I was thinking, you know, I wish I could understand my wife better. God, you know what I want to do? I want to pray that you would help me understand my wife. Just women in general, Lord. I don't understand when one day, you know, I do something one week. I do the exact same thing two weeks later. And one week she's happy about it. The next week she's mad about it. I understand when she's emotionally here and emotionally over there. And she tells me all the time, you just don't understand me. Lord, would you, would you just help me to understand my wife and women in general? The Lord paused for a moment. He said, so how high do you want that skyscraper? About 150 hey. <laughs> stories. Or so. Come on, it's Father's Day, ladies. Hey, I got to give them a little hey. bit of... Hey! <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. Hey, dads, thanks for being in the room. We're going to be praying over you today. We got a great plan afterwards. And I'm so excited. We got uh, one of the members of our church uh, have, have their own business. And they donated an awesome spice rub for your meat, for your barbecues and stuff. And so they donated that for us. So we have that gift for you. And then, of course, we're going to eat barbecue sandwich. And we're going to eat a lot of pink pig outside. That's what we're going to be doing, playing out in the yard. It's going to be fun here just after service. So I'm going to preach fast so you can get out there and get to eat. And so Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll turn there quickly, it'll also be on the screens. That's going to be our past. It's kind of sets the the premise of when dads pray. That's the title of today's message, when dads pray. 
Um, in this passage, we find out or we understand the authority that God gives dads in a family unit. And we, let's pick up in verse 23. This passage has been mishandled for years. And I'm going to try to set some things straight by it, but at the same time, articulate what God was trying to institute into the family business. And that is Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is Savior. Now, that's been misused and mishandled. If you'll read that entire passage, chapter 5, chapter 6, the Lord literally is dealing with the family unit. In fact, when God decided to literally build out humanity, he put us in units. We call them families. He, he literally organized us in units. And what this scripture is doing is qualifying that the husband is the head of that unit. He is the platoon leader, if you will. Nowhere in Scripture does it devalue women unless it's misquoted or misappropriated. Nowhere in Scripture are women second-rate to men. Nowhere in Scripture. That's a misappropriation. When it actually continue reading in this passage or in the First Peter passage where it says that women are the weaker vessel, that's actually a better translation is they're like fine china. They're more, uh, they're more valuable, if you will, not weaker as in strength. Because come on, men, have you ever seen them give birth? You, ladies, you are stronger. No hand or buts about it. You win. Um, that's not at all what the scripture is referring to. It's referring to what's something that you would treat with more value because it's more precious. It's more dainty or delicate, if you will. It's not like the, uh, the Tupperware that you put in the dishwasher. It's very expensive china. That's what it's referring to when it's talking about or the connotation uh, that that passage is talking about. And so in this piece, what you have to understand, also there's a passage where, P, uh, where Paul is literally talking about, um, I, I, let me turn to that real quick in Galatians three twenty-eight. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that sounds ludicrous if you take it for what it says right there and pull it out of context. What he's talking about is in Christ, Jews are not better than, than Gentiles. In Christ, men are not better than women. In Christ, in Christ, there is not a slave and there's not a free man. In Christ, we are all one. It's, in other words, in the way God values us, a man's not more valuable than a woman. And the way God looks at us and God interacts with us, men and women are on the same playing field. Come on, somebody. But in the unit of organization and governmental movement and the thing and, 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 and categorizing his people into ways of moving forward, he put the man, the husband, over the wife and the wife over the family. Are you with me? Say yes. yes. And so the reason that is, is for, is for organization and governmental movement. As a result of that, that puts the dad as the authority in that home. Now, this is what's been stripped away from us in the years that have passed. Is that men do not recognize their authority or they've mishandled that authority. And therefore created more difficulty. Jesus actually taught us or in this passage of Ephesians. Paul taught us um, that men are to um, love their wives as Christ loved the church. Women are to, uh, wives are to submit to their husbands as submitting to the Lord. I, I don't know which is harder, loving you like Christ loves me or submitting to you imperfect person. 
I would think that the women may have more of a difficulty there. I'm not sure. But even trying to love you the way Christ loves you. But when I'm loving my wife with everything I can and trying to make her, make her amazing and promoting her and, and, and causing her to look more like Jesus, as I'm giving myself to that objective and she's giving herself to submitting to me to allow me to lead her, in that process is something beautiful and magnificent. When those things are broken, when I don't really care about her, when uh, she's just nothing more than an object of my sexuality... Or, or I see her as a slave to do my bidding, then that is broken. Instead yeah. of loving her like Christ to love the church, when I treat her like this other piece, that breaks that thing. When she says, you know what, you're imperfect, and I see all your failures, and as a result, I don't have to uh, submit myself to an imperfect person. She breaks this unit yeah. that God has put together. Are you with me? Say yes. Yeah. He breaks this unit when he doesn't treat her like Christ treats the church. Wow. I had to establish that so we can move forward now in this understanding and teaching, and that is, dads, you are the head of the home. It's a beautiful position, but it's a very, you know, Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. Come on. You know, when I first got married, I was very scared, intimidated of that responsibility. Then we had kids, and I really even more, and that's why I could really relate with, with uh, Pastor Jack a few months ago when he, he and Nicole were up here teaching us about raising our children, things like that, and he told them the story that the moment that, that Noah, his first child was born, it was, you know, in the, in the early mornings of, of the day, and, uh, and then, you know, by that point, the, the baby was put away, and Nicole was sleeping, and the sun began to creep up, and come through the shades, and he was standing there on that, you know, fifth floor of that hospital, uh, uh, and looking out, and, and, and it's beautiful, it's, and, and, and all of a sudden, this pain and it hit him. And he said it like this from the pulpit. He said, in that moment, I thought I could get in my car and just keep driving and never come back. What he was talking about was the responsibility of being an authority yeah. and being responsible for this beautiful woman and these beautiful children that God has given me. With that responsibility, though, comes also very much an authority. Dads, when you pray, you pray from a position of authority as one who is covering protecting, providing that family unit. Can you imagine like in a platoon, you've got that person who's the head of it. He's the, you know, I don't know all the terminology, sergeant, whatever, lieutenant, but that person is the one making the decision for those 10, 15 men's lives, men and women's lives. And as a result, the responsibility of that, but also with that, the opportunity to represent them and the privilege, the privilege to move us forward as a team and the ability to say, there's the enemy, let's all go get them right now in a in concerted effort, attack. And that concept is really what the family unit looks like. And it looks like that the dad's not better than the mom, he simply is in the position of making those decisions and also carrying the responsibility before the Lord. Isn't that good? Say yes. yes. So with that being established, let me explain to you dads, when you pray, what happens? From a position of authority. When you pray. I have been in positions of authority since I was a young man. Um, I, at one point I had 200 employees under my oversight. When I said something or did something, it had ramifications right down the ripples right on down. In fact, I've had people who try to circumvent me and go to my authority above me. And without Delph, if it's a healthy organization, this person should say to them, did you go check with your boss? Why are you having this discussion with me? 
If it's not a healthy organization, they'll begin to interact with that. And, and next thing you know, there's no clear lines and who's in charge and who's not in charge. Come on, you know what I'm yeah. talking about. You've been at that place. But because that's a clean, healthy environment, they'll say, hey, listen, you need to go back to Adam and you need to talk to him. And y'all need to get that working and get that straight. And then as a result, I can go to my boss and say, we need to promote this one and this one. They're amazing. We need to do that. That's a position of authority. So from that, as the head of your home, dads, let me show you what happens when you and I pray. First and foremost that I see in scripture, when you and I pray as dads, we literally move the hand of God. We move the hand of God. And the illustration of that in scripture is Genesis chapter 18. I'll tell the storyline for sake of time so we can get to our, our barbecue as quickly as we can. But in Genesis chapter 18, what is transpiring is, is Abraham has no children. God calls him to move to the land of Canaan. He calls him away from his people. And he takes his nephew, Lot, whose parents had been killed. And he basically takes Lot on to raise him as his own. Some of you have done that. You've adopted your, your family member's children and you literally raise them like you're their dad. Or you have a stepchild in your family unit and you love them like their own dad. And when Abraham has Lot, he raises him up. He teaches him his value system. He promotes Lot. He makes Lot successful in business. And when Lot gets of age where he's starting to have conflict living at home, Abraham says, listen, you need to take you, your herdsmen, your business, and you need to pick whatever of this beautiful land you want to live in, and you go and establish your family, and I will then pull back over to the opposite side of wherever you pick. And Lot picks Sodom and Gomorrah, which immediately should spark something if you're a Christian and been in church for any length of time. Sodom and Gomorrah were these two wicked tri-cities. They were Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, it's become synonymous today with perversion because they had become so vile that, and their sexuality had become so rampant that literally God had started a process in chapter 18 of deciding to destroy them because their evil was so horrific that it made it up, the, the understanding of it made it up to heaven. And we see in chapter 18 that the Lord literally stands at Abraham's house with two angels. And Abraham recognizes it's the Lord. He has a meal with the Lord. And then the Lord, as he goes to leave with his two angels, stops and says, Is it right for me to hide from Abraham what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot had moved into Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot had become a businessman there. He had become a man of influence in Sodom and Gomorrah. He had become wrapped in their culture. Nowhere in Scripture does it say he participated in their sin, but he was a part of their city unit. And we see that God turns to Abraham and says, Listen, I need you to know we're on our way to check out if what we've seen in the heavens is true and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he sends the angels off to do it. Abraham, being a man of passion, says to the Lord, Lord, I know I am nothing but dirt. From dirt I came to dirt I will return. But if you could please hear me for a moment. What glory is there in the Lord to destroy an entire city if there's some righteous people there? Lord, would you consider, could you consider not destroying Sodom and Gomorrah if you could find 50 righteous people? He changed the mind of God in that moment. And the Lord says, you know what? You're right, Abraham. If I found 50 righteous people, I wouldn't destroy it. Abraham said, okay. Lord, can I ask you one more question if you don't mind? Lord, I hate to be so impetuous, but what if there was only 
45, would you save this? Could, wouldn't it be right for you to save the city? I mean, maybe, maybe five, just right in there from 50 to 45, wouldn't that not be that big? Would you not save the city and not destroy all those people for those 45? Because surely those 45 over time could influence the other thousands of wicked people. The Lord said, you know what? I would spare the city for 45. Lord, I don't want to be too, I don't want to make you mad. But what if there was only 40? Would you save it? And the Lord says, yeah, I would save the city for 40 people. He goes, Lord, thank you for that. But what if there was only 30? He walks the Lord down from 30 to 20 to 10. Come on, that's the guy you want with you to, sell, to, to buy a new car. Come, Come on, on, somebody. Hey. Take that dude with you. Don't go to CarMax. Go to them other places where hey. they'll haggle. And you sit down and say, let that guy write it. Man, 10,000. You can, you, can you do eight? And he whittles God down to 10. I believe Abraham thinks surely Lot, his wife, his two daughters, and the people who work for him in his business, surely they're righteous. Surely Lot has influenced his managers who work for him, and they love God and don't act this way. I think at 10, Abraham thought, I have protected my son, although he's not my natural son, but that one who I have taken on as my spiritual son and provided for him. As the Bible continues on in chapter 18, the angels show up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is there. He recognizes who they are. He pulls them into his house. He begins interacting with them. By that time, the entire city, the Bible says, all the men of the city come banging on the door. You get a picture that, the, that, the, that it's dark, that they've got, their, you know, they've got their torches and everything, and they begin banging on the door saying, send out to us the two men who just came to your house for we want to have sex with them throughout the night. Lot throws open the door, shuts it behind him and says, men, men, listen to me. Don't do this. I'll give you my daughters instead for they've never been with a man. Can you imagine that? They begin to say, no, who is this foreigner who's come in our midst? Who is this guy, Lot, who thinks he can tell us what to do? At that moment, the angels throw open the door, grab Lot by the nap of his head, jerking back inside, shut the door and says, listen, I'm paraphrasing. Abraham has jockeyed for ten righteous they not here. We're going to burn this place to the ground. You and whoever is with you, get out of town and you'll survive. Lot got his wife, his two daughters. They had two fiancés. He went to those men and they would not follow him out of the city. And they fled the city. Lot, his two daughters, and of course his wife looks back and turns to a pillar of salt. They, they fly out of there as fire begins to rain down on that city and literally burns it to the ground. Historians say that they can't even find where the city was at, but what they have found, they believe, is it's right there on the edge of the Dead Sea, which its salt content is so high because the fire came down and burnt everything, turning it all to salt. As she turned to salt, and that's why the salt content is so high right there, that's what they, some people believe. The point of the matter is this, dads, when we pray, we can move the hand of God. Because our position, when we say, oh God, listen, I'm asking you right now, Father. Don't, Lord, please protect my son. Lord, don't let him give himself over to that. Oh God, would you go on my behalf and save that boy? Come on, somebody. When dads stand in their positions of authority and say, no, Lord, no, Lord. I know he deserves to reap this because what a man sows, that shall he also reap. But Lord, can 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 I just push heaven a little bit that you would hold back your wrath on that situation? Lord, could you, could you just have mercy on my kid? Could you just have mercy on that situation that my my daughter-in-law is involved in. Lord, could you just change 
and hold back, Lord, for I stand as the head of my family. And in my authoritative position, I ask you, Lord, would you please move your hand? Would you please move on this behalf? Come on, somebody. That's the power that dads have when they pray. Here's the second power that a dad has when he prays, and that is it destroys the plans of the enemy. Jesus would have considered, for he had no natural children, he would have considered his disciples, his 12, his own, quote, spiritual children. And he said in Luke chapter 21, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has wished to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed that you will not be destroyed. He will not give in. Listen, dads, when we pray, you got to understand something. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and power. That little hoochie mama who's after your son, that's a spirit that's pushing her. I'm telling you what it is. She's a sweetheart. Who knows what she went through? Who knows if, why she became what she is and is pushing the way she's pushing? It's because those, because our flesh is open to the wickedness of the things of this world, the demonic forces. And those demonic forces begin to push on us and woo us, and we respond to that. That's why we have a battle against our flesh and our spirit man to try to serve God with all of our heart. But we've got these natural tendencies to want to look into that and be a part of that. And, and so what we have to do is crucify the flesh, the Bible talks about. But what happens is those forces of evil begin to draw and push and tug and try to get our attention. Dad, when we stand there and say, in the name of Jesus, you will not destroy my daughter. She will not give herself over to perversion. I stand against every plan that the enemy has put into place. I rebuke you, Satan. I command you to loose and let go. When we stand in our position, remember, we are the covering of that home. Every one of those, that that spouse and those children are under our tutelage, under our covering. When we stand there and say, you got to get to them, you got to come through me, and you can't get through me because Jesus Christ is protecting me and my family, and I curse you and command you to go in Jesus' name. Look at the power of standing in your authoritative position. It's a lot different. You know what I'm talking about. You ever been in a restaurant and you tried to get you know, the waiter or the waitress to help you with something? Or have you, ever been, have you ever been trying to work with AT&T because they mishandled your bill? So I've sat on hold for three hours. I finally get some little person on the phone. Well, sir, can you do this? Did you do Yes, I did all of that. Now, I need you to give me my $100 back. Well, sir, I'm just not in a position. Who is in a position to give me my $100 back? Get that person on the phone. That's the person I want to interact with. I don't know what power you have, but give me the person who has the authority to do what needs to be done. Dads, that's your position when it comes to the family unit. So when you see girls, little girls, who are giving themselves over to perversion, you're probably looking at a father that didn't know how to protect her. Either didn't because he didn't know to, didn't know Jesus, didn't know how to interact. It could be many things, but... But I promise you, the reason they call us a fatherless generation is because we as dads, no one taught us how to be good dads. I'm telling you, you are the authoritative position in your home. And if you don't mishandle that, if you handle it like a good father, like a good dad, it's wanting to protect and provide. I want to teach you that if you'll stand in your authority, you'll pray, things will begin to shift. Yeah. Demonic forces will let go when you command them to. They have to listen to you. Stop regulating that to your co-leader. That's your position. Stop regulating that to your wife. And when you and I stand there, driving to work in the name of Jesus, I will not lose this marriage. My wife will love me and I will love her. And every demonic force is trying to break that. I curse you and command you to let me go yeah. in Jesus' name. When you stand there with all your buddies who are talking about let's all go out afterwards and, and have a few beers. Nah, nah, nah it's not going to happen, man. I'm doing my best to serve God. I don't do that anymore. Oh, come on, you big wuss. You ought to, hey, 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 hey. I love my wife and I love my kids. Say come it on. again. See if I won't knock you out. Come on. See, stand in your position of authority. And be the man that God's 
trying to raise you up to be. Here's the third thing that happens. Men, you'll like this. We see a real precedence of this in Scripture, that when you and I stand in our position of authority and we pray, it literally, number three, we will receive wisdom for success. You will receive wisdom for success. When you stand in your rightful position as the head of your home, the head of your family unit, this, this platoon that God has put together to destroy the works of the enemy, this expression of what God looks like. God's the father. He has a family unit. We are his children. Come on. He put that into play, and he represents that on earth with us as our families. When we stand there in our family unit, dads, and we take authority and we pray, and what happens is wisdom from heaven will begin to drop down inside of you when it comes to business plans yeah. and things that you you're working on when it comes to organization when it comes to what should we buy this house should we not buy this house should we should we buy a new car or are we too far in debt to do if we make this investment is it good for us five years from now or it's going to it's going to be worse for us right now if i if we make this decision and put our kid take our kid out of this school and put him in god when you pray will give you downloads of wisdom that come straight from heaven we see this illustrated in the book of daniel with daniel himself Daniel was a man of God. And we see in this wonderful verse, I'll just let you look at it real quick. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, I want you to see how Daniel, now we're talking about the king of what is probably at that time the known world. I mean, he, this, guy, this guy's got one of the biggest kingdoms on the planet. And Daniel is his servant. He's one of his workers. And it says, it pleased Darius, he's the king, uh, to appoint 120 satraps. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of who was Daniel. So he says, look, I'm going to put governors all over the kingdom. And I'm going to put three guys in charge of all the governors. And the three guys will report to me and all the governors will report to them. Continuing on. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So we'll make money and the kingdom will prosper. No one's stealing, no one's cheating. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king plan to set him over the entire kingdom. He's looking at the three and he's saying, I'm going to put him over all of it. Wow. He's going to be number two. I don't even want to think about it. I just want to look pretty. I want to say some speeches, you know. I want to have my little hair on. I want people to throw grapes in my mouth and fan me and that kind of stuff. And the, all the real hard work I'm going to give to Daniel because he's trustworthy because God is putting him forward. Can, you, can I tell you something? Daniel is not being considered for this position but just because he has integrity. Daniel's not being considered this position because he's intellectually higher than everybody else. The reason why Daniel has integrity, the reason why Daniel is intelligent, because the favor of God is on on him, and the reason he has the favor of God on him, because he prays three times a day. Wow. He's standing before the Lord, say, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Lord, I don't know how to make this wicked king understand there's a God in heaven that he didn't even realize. I, I don't know how to help this man see, oh God, that he's being robbed by these guys who he thinks are his buddies. And God's giving him wisdom and giving him wisdom and giving him wisdom. Dads, when you pray with your businesses, with what you're working on, with what's going on wrong with your family, when you pray on what we should buy and what we shouldn't buy, and, and, and start relegating that uh, or, and even delegating that to your wife or to your kids, if you'll pray, God will give you wisdom. It'll be supernatural. Why? Because you're, you're the point of that, uh, 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 of that flow chart right there. You're the, you're the top. You're the head of the family. So when you pray, God answers and he gives wisdom. Here's the final piece that I see, and there's plenty of other pieces in Scripture, but these are the four I wanted to highlight. So when dads pray from their position of, uh, of authority, number four, it propels their family's destiny. Yeah. It propels their family's destiny. We see that with Isaac, with Jacob and Esau. They wanted the blessing, and as he spoke the blessing, it became who they were. As he prayed this over, this is what you'll be, son, that's what they became. We see Zechariah with John the Baptist. This angel showed up to him and said, literally, he said, you have been praying and your prayers have been answered. John the Baptist will be this, 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 and this. All the things that Zechariah had been praying over the years. 
Can I tell you something? When we pray, it literally propels the family's destiny. When Jamie got pregnant with our first child, we found out it was a boy. Jamie wanted to name him, uh, was it Ethan or Ian? Ethan. It was kind of cool and sexy name back, you know, 18 years ago. 19 years ago. There's an Ian. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't. I wanted to name him Tough. Tough McCain. Doesn't that sound like a bull rider, man? Yeah. Name Tough McCain. Jamie was like, well, he, what if he's not tough? I said, he will be by the end of it. Because <laughs> everybody be, oh, you tough? What, what, what? He had to defend himself. So it'll make him tough. And she goes, no, we can't name him that. So we couldn't agree. And we were, we were, we'd been praying about it, praying about it, praying about it. And Jamie saw Cohen as the last name. I think were you sitting in a movie theater or something? You know, somebody, producers, you know, it's a Jewish last name. And she came up, she said, I, I saw this name Cohen. And as soon as she said it, I was like, hmm. Man, something about it just resonated in my spirit. But at the same time, I said, baby, they could call him Colin. You know, it's, it's, like it's you know, I got to name my son Colin, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, and so right next to liver. And so, you know, I, and she, she said, well, let's look it up. And we looked it up. It was a Jewish last name. It meant of the priestly order. Wow. So that's that boy's destiny right there. From the time he was born, I began to tell him, son, your name is Cohen. It means of the priestly order. And I began to pray over that day in and day out, oh God, and protect his destiny, propel him into his destiny. When he graduated high school uh, this last year, he, he said, where do you want to go? He said, I want to I go to Bible school because I know I'm called to be a minister. Come on. I said, why did he know that? And see, see, because he knows his destiny, because I've been protecting his destiny, because I've been propelling his destiny through prayer before the Lord and setting that thing in order, he hasn't, he hasn't messed around like other teenagers, teenagers have messed around. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Because as my position as the dad, dads, listen, when you begin to set in prayer the purposes and the destinies of your spouse, of your children, God responds to that thing and it becomes solidified and it makes your family safe and secure to know that dad sees what God has for me and dad's protecting that through prayer and propagating that through prayer. Are you with me? Say yes. Yes. A couple years ago, Jamie began to express, she said, Adam, I think, I think God wants to use me in the city more. And uh, we just had... Adlin, and at the time we were traveling, Jamie and I were traveling, doing marriage conference all around the nation. We were, you know, we were being sought after to be on Christian television and write books and all those kind of things. And then she gets pregnant with Adlin, and we're like, there that goes. <laughs> and we named her Adlin because it means something extra, by the way. So anyway, and so she goes, so she was praying about it, and she's always had this bend towards towards, uh, you know, politics and things like that. She said, I, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to take my little girl, because I'm traveling all over the world at the time, you know, and she goes, I'm just going to get involved. She started serving in the city. She got on a couple of downtown boards. She just started serving in the city. She started doing whatever she could to make the city that we lived in better. And uh, in the middle of that, you know, she started feeling a sense that she, God wanted to promote her in that. And we were in a meeting where a prophet stopped, called her out and said, Jamie, the Lord says you will be the next mayor of Cedar Hill. And said that, and man, it just, it resonated in my spirit. Can I tell you something? I pray over that every day. Come on. I'm protecting the purposes. I'm protecting the destiny. I'm protecting the, the, the plans that God has 
for my wife, for my children. I pray over that. I, I, I'm calling that out to the Lord. Lord, you said that she would be married. That ain't, we ain't got time for it. And Lord, ain't enough, they don't even pay for it. Lord, you are going to have to make that thing happen. Lord, I'm behind you in it, Lord God. Let's do this thing. And so as I don't know if it'll be next term, 10 terms, 20 terms. I don't know if it'll be 80. But I am propagating that thing in prayer because it's the calling and destiny that's on my wife. Dads, when you pray, it literally propels the family's destiny. And causes that son to rise up and say, this is what God has for me. My dad's been praying this since I was a little boy. My, 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 my dad has prayed that I would marry a man that would treat me right. So I know you can't be him. Wow. Because he prays over that over me every night before I go to bed. My dad prays that I wouldn't give myself over to sexuality until my wedding night. And so you ain't the one because uh, you're trying to push me to do that now. Yeah. It literally propels the destiny of the family. Now, can I just speak to us as a family, as a church family? Moms, children, you have no idea the pressure that we as dads feel to be good dads. To provide for you, to protect you, to pray, and, and, and also go to work and fight off the demons and fight off our own inner demons and try to be someone of example and character when we know our own failures and weaknesses. And I think that I could teach us something today, that every one of us in a family have a responsibility to our dads to help them. And I want to teach you how to help your dads become the men men of God they're supposed to be. Here's the first thing, number one, and that is this, is that you need to submit to them. You need to submit to them. Can you imagine being a platoon leader and everybody except a couple of them won't fall in line? And they're doing their own thing out here. And you can't move the platoon forward because you got this one who won't listen to you. Sometimes it literally, as as the head of my home, it feels like I'm herding cats sometimes. Have you ever tried to herd cats? Well, there was an uh, there's an old video of of a Super Bowl ad that uh, where they uh, they were herding cats. I thought it'd be cute to show that to you real quick. Play that video for them for herding cats. This is what it looks like. This man right here is my great grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. (laughs) Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half-wild short hairs. Well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning right here. And if you look at his face, it's just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you you hear the stories. It's, I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. It ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and you ain't lost a one of them, ain't a <laughs> Come on. That's what it feels like sometimes to be a dad, you know? Can, can, can we do this? No, we don't. Well, that's a bad idea. Okay. okay we, hey, I need y'all right now to clean your room. Mom said we didn't have to. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's hard to literally get us all moving forward as a family unit we got our own weaknesses, our own difficulties. Can I tell you something? Children of dads, spouses, if you'll just submit. You say, well, they're imperfect people. I know. Isn't that crazy that God would ask us to submit to imperfect people? Wow. I submit to our president, but I think he's an imperfect person. Come on. Because he's an authority. Come on. And God says all authority has been established by the Lord. Amen. And so in that submission, God does miracles yeah. with imperfect people. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? It's amazing, God's principles in Scripture. If you'll just submit to him, I promise you, it'll have an effect that is transforming. Here's the second thing that 
we can do to help dads be great dads and be men of prayer and, and lead our families well, and that is encourage them. Encourage them. There's not a day goes by that this little lady on the front row doesn't encourage me. You know, we all battle discouragement. Discourage is to take courage from. Encourage is to put courage in. I want you to picture encouragement. It's like taking that inner tube on, or, or that tire that's flat on your bicycle or on a car, and you begin to pump it up, and that thing that was flat begins and it becomes tight and firm, and you can ride on it again. Uh, listen, uh, you know, I, I'm telling you, this, this little one, she's, always, she's never once discouraged me. She's never once said, you're a loser. She's never, every sermon I ever preached, even the bad ones, she goes, that was amazing, you're the greatest. Sometimes I'm talking to her in the car, and I'm really pouring out my heart, and she's just going, oh, you're awesome, you're amazing, that's amazing, you're the greatest, I love you so much. And I look over there, she's not listening to me, she's not, she don't have an idea what I just said, but she's, she don't care. Uh, you're the greatest, you're the best man of God ever, I love you so much. And she's steadily texting and stuff, you know, but she's, she's learned, if I will pump him up, he will lead us in the ways of the Lord. For the problem for us in authority is not that we have the position, it's that we're fearful of making mistakes. We lack courage sometimes to run through the troop, leap over the wall, to attack that situation. And when you, as children, when you, as spouses, encourage us dads, we feel like we can go bear hunting with a switch. Yeah. When, you, when Jamie says, you can do it, you, we can, you can, you're the best, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right now. And some of you, instead of pointing out all of his weaknesses and, and reminding him of all of his failures over the last 25 years, if you could just encourage him a little bit, if you could come home and say, Dad, I know I've been a teenager, and I'm coming into my own, and some of your ways are old and fogey and stupid. <laughs> I told my kids the other day, I was cool before you came. Hey. It's cool. You stole my coolness because <laughs> I have to be an authority over you. Hurting cats. <laughs> you made me crazy. But if you could just encourage, Dad, I, Dad, I, I love you. And, and I, I'm going to do my best to listen to you. I, I guarantee you he'd stop blowing up. You know why he's yelling? Because he doesn't feel heard. You know why he's making bad decisions? Because he doesn't have courage to make right decisions. And when you and I encourage dads, I promise you they'll start making good decisions. God will be with them. Here's the final thing that we can do for dads, just real quick, that we could put into play. And that is we could pray for him. We could pray, oh God, help my dad. Oh God, help my husband. Help him be wise and leading us. Would you stand with me all across the room? I actually have taken a couple of pieces of scripture and I want to put this last point into practice right now as we go to close out. I want to pray for dads. Maybe your dad's in the room. Maybe your dad's not here. If your dad's gone on to heaven, then maybe you can pray for your spouse or someone else's dad in the room. But I want to point out to you, go ahead and put those scriptures up. The first one, what we'll do is we'll read this scripture together as a prayer and then in that open space, for me it's pop. We call Mike McCain pop. That's what I call him. It's a term of endurance. You can say dad or you can say Mike or Bill or whatever. But as we pray it, we're going to pray it out loud together. As, I, as we get to Lord bless pop, and each of you will say your own dad's name. And we'll pray that over our dads just to kind of start closing out this service. Let's do it together. Number one, Lord bless pop and keep him. Make your face to shine upon him and be gracious to him. Lift up your countenance upon him and give him peace. 
I pray that in all respects, Pop may prosper and be in good health just as his soul prospers. I pray for Pop that his love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that he may be approved what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Last one. God, according to the riches of your glory, grant Pop to be strengthened with power through your spirit in his inner being so that Christ may dwell in his heart through faith, that he, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that he may be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you join hands with that person next to you for just a moment? Father, we bless the dads in this room. Lord, even as we prayed over them just now, Lord, we decide here and now to change where we have not been submissive, Lord, to help us to submit. Lord God, that we could be encouragements to dad again, that he could boldly walk in his authority. His position that you gave him, Lord, we didn't give it to him. We can't take it away. You gave it to him. Lord, I thank you right now for our dads, even those who've struggled to be good, those who've had difficulty fighting off their own evil within. But Lord, we pray for them that they would have a fresh encounter with you. For those dads that have turned their back on you, Lord, that you would woo them back. We ask for them to have a homecoming experience with you, Lord. Where they begin to weep and say, I'm sorry, I never meant to to turn my back on you, Lord. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that they would have divine encounters with you. And you would mark them for the rest of their days. Now, as we've got hands joined, I want dads in this room to understand you're an authority over that family, sir. I know it's scary. I know they don't always listen. I know you feel like you're herding cats. I know your wife is more spiritual than you. Mine is. But it's our position. And dads, I'd like you to take a moment, whether it be under your breath or out loud, and let's just begin to pray for our families. Let's pray for their destinies. Let's pray that the hand of God would be upon them, that the demonic forces that are trying to destroy them would be broken. Can we just take a moment, dads, and let's just take our rightful position in this church and in our family unit. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for our children, Lord God. We pray for our families. Lord, we thank you right now, Lord God, that you are covering them. Lord, we ask you, put your hand upon our children right now. May they never leave your side. May they never turn to another way, oh God. May they always, always seek your face and and desire to know you and love you all of their days. Oh God, we pray for our marriages, oh God. Teach us, oh God, where we're just stupid. Lord, waken us to our own stupidity. Help us to love, Lord God, where there has been hurt and pain. Oh God, show me how to be a better husband. Show me how to be a a better dad. Teach me, oh God. Give me wisdom in the business that you've been put my hand to and that you've put in my in my path to be a part of. Lord God, give me understanding to be a good father, Lord God, to my children and to my children's children. Lord, bless your dads today as they pray and they seek your face and they pray over their own families. Let them understand the power they possess. Let them not give that power to a preacher. Let them not give that power to a small group leader. Let them not give that authority to their spouse. Lord, it's their authority to walk in, oh God. And I pray they would take up that mantle today. They would take up their rightful position today. They would 
ward off the plans of the enemy to destroy. They push back the gates of hell that are trying to take over. And in the name of Jesus, that the men of God in this room would have courage, courage to be who they're called to be. And all the fear and all the insecurity, they didn't have a dad that showed them how to be a dad. And, and they went through hell on earth and had bad experiences in military and in business and things like that. Oh God, wash all that clean. And may they know now how to be dads by praying, knowing the power that they possess. Because when dads pray, the earth shakes. When dad prays, family units are strengthened. When dads pray, God gives attention and moves his hand on their behalf. When dads pray, demons flee. When dads pray, children's and spouses' destinies are secured, propelled. Dads pray they're successful in all they put their hand to. You just let go of that hand next to you for just a moment. Bow your heads with me. If you don't mind, I'd like to take the last two minutes and do the most important business we could ever do. You say, what would that be, Pastor? I thought eating was going to be important today. It is. Oh, it's, it's important. But the most important thing I could ever do today in our time of gathering is help someone who's walked away from Jesus come home. Reconnect that, that soul that's never known that there was a Savior that wanted them. Maybe you knew about religion. You sat in churches where you felt condemned. Maybe you had a friend that told you something crazy. You never really understood. Well, let me give you a quick understanding. The creator of humanity loves his creation. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they broke fellowship with God. And we all became sinners. It separated us. It became the elephant in the room. But God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son to literally bridge the gap, the canyon between us and God. And Jesus laid down his life on that cross and that cross became a bridge. And the Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And as you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you accept his teachings, his doctrines. And you take them on as part of who you are. The Bible says that when we die, we'll spend eternity in glory with the Father. Hell was never designed humanity. It was designed for Satan and all the demons. But when we sinned originally in the garden, it became our destiny. Oh, but redemption through Jesus Christ to change our trajectory, to get us on a different road. Wide is the road that leads to destruction and everybody seems to be on it. Narrow is the path that leads to life and it seems to just be a few traveling that narrow road. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're tired of being on the wide road and you're ready to get right with the Lord. You're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You're ready to confess your sin. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. With no one looking around who would have courage today to say, Pastor, I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of being like this. It's time. I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. With no one looking around, would you have the courage to admit that to yourself? Admit that to the Father. If you're ready for that, I'd like you to right now to respond by saying, Pastor, that's me. 
it's time for me to be right with the Lord. I'm ready to repent. And I ask that God would have mercy on me and cleanse me today. If that's you, would you be courageous enough to lift your hand and admit that between you, God, and the Father? No one else is looking around. I'm not going to pull you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Pastor, it's time. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Amen. I see you in the back. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, young person. You can put him back down. There's been a number of you. Anybody else? Give you about three seconds. That's the Lord tugging at your heart, not me. That's him saying, I, I want you. I need you. Got to have you back in my life. Anybody else? Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hands. And let's ask Jesus to come into our lives. Confess him as Lord and Savior. And ask him to cleanse us of our sins. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today... I surrender my life, my desires, my wants. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I have sinned against you. And today, I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me and make me new. And here in front of everyone, I confess Jesus is my Lord. I declare Jesus is my Lord. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. I pray right now they sense your grace. I I pray right now they would feel like a blanket. like Like a warm blanket in wintertime. Literally over their soul. No more guilt. No more shame. It's all been hidden. It's all been taken away. It's all been scrubbed. Father, I pray right now that they would feel the joy of being right with you. That they would sense it. They don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church. Salvation came because of their repentance. Because of their confession. They don't have to do 25 Hail Marys or crawl on their knees. They are forgiven right now because they asked. And Lord, they belong to you. We seal that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord Jesus' hand?